Good morning. Thank you for uh, welcoming me here. Thank you for welcoming, welcoming my wife, Megan. Um, we also have a 15-month-old who I'm sure is wreaking havoc in the nursery right now. Um, I also want to thank you for your welcome to the various Sanford students and other college students who have made their way um, into your midst over the last few years. There are a couple of Sanford students uh, who have worshipped with you in the past. And one of the things that we pray for for our students is that when they leave college, um, they would leave with a love for Jesus Church. And you guys play a bigger role in that than, than I ever can. And so thank you for welcoming them, for caring for them um, in the months that they were here. Uh, that means a great deal to me um, and a great deal to RUF that you would care for our college students. Um, this morning, we will be continuing in Joshua chapter 3, your series through Joshua. Turn there with me. Um, just to orient you to the passage, um, we are on the precipice, on the cusp of centuries of waiting for God's people. Centuries of waiting, all the way back to the time of Abraham, where God promised, I will give your people this land, they will live here, they will thrive here. Um, And we are on the very verge of the people finally entering into the land. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. It'll probably be helpful if you follow along, because this is a pretty long passage and we're going to read the whole thing. Beginning in verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of the three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits, which is about 3,000 feet in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant. And they went on before the people. Continuing in verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, each From each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people... And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters 
coming down from above, stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down towards the sea, the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we come to his word this morning. Father, would you open our eyes and open our hearts Uh, Give us ears to hear your goodness and your faithfulness through this passage this morning. Would you soften our hearts by your spirit? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As you know, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, And the Super Bowl is is now become, it's more than just a football game, right? It's, it's It's a cultural event. It's, it's not just about football, it's about commercials, right? Tomorrow, you're going to go into the office and you're going to debate with your coworkers. What was the best commercial? What was the funniest? What was the most memorable? What was the most controversial, right? It's not just about football, it's about commercials. It's also about the national anthem. Who's going to sing it? Is it, is it going to be lip synced? Or are they going to sing it live? Who's going to perform at halftime? How good is the show going to be? It's about all these other things. It's about celebrities and parties and... I mean, New Orleans right now is full. Everybody who's anybody is in New Orleans right now, seeing and being seen. There are, it's about the merchandise. There are lots of things going on at the Super Bowl. But when you really boil it down, there's only one main event. The Super Bowl is about a football game. It's about 49ers versus Ravens playing one another for the championship of, championship of professional football. That's the main event. And as we step into... Joshua chapter 3, there's a lot flowing into and out of this passage. There's a lot that we could talk about. We could talk about the parallels between Joshua and Moses and the parallels between the crossing of the Jordan and the crossing of the Red Sea. We could talk about God validating the leadership of Joshua here in this passage. But I want to focus on the main event this morning. I want to focus on the game itself. I want to focus on the main event of Joshua chapter 3, which is this. God is faithful. That's the main event here in Joshua chapter 3. God is faithful. And there are a couple of different aspects of this faithfulness that I, wanna, I want us to see from this passage that I think are, are coming out here. Um, this is your outline for the morning. If you're an outline person, God is faithful to sustain his people. And God is faithful to deliver his people. God is faithful to sustain and God is faithful to deliver. Firstly, God is faithful to sustain. See, you, you already know this. I'm sure you've covered this a little bit already, but this is, this is a long journey for the people of God. We're, they're about to enter into the promised land, and this is literally centuries of waiting. Way back in the time of Abraham, God called Abraham to himself. He brought him to himself, and he says, I am going to be your God, and you will be my people. And your offspring will number as, as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. And he took him to Canaan, and he said, I'm going to give them this land. Here they will thrive. Here they will flourish. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Well, fast forward a few hundred years and the offspring of Abraham are now a great and numerous people, but they're enslaved in Egypt. 
They're a slave people in Egypt. They're not in the promised land. And so God comes to them in Egypt and he rescues them out of slavery under the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. Miraculously, he, he, he parts the Red Sea and they pass through and, and they're now in the Sinai Peninsula and they're waiting for God to lead them into the promised land. And they grumble and they complain. And they rebel. And so God says, OK, you know what? Those of you who saw me deliver you out of slavery in Egypt because of your sin, I'm going to discipline you and you will not see the promised land. Your children will, but you will not. I will keep my promises. But for 40 years, God's people wandered in the desert, waiting for God to lead them into the promised land. And so for 40 years, there are people, there's a whole generation of Israelites who were born after they'd been delivered out of slavery, who were born in the wilderness, born in the desert, and then raised their own children in the wilderness, in the desert. And, and they had only heard tell of God's promises. They had only heard tell of what God had done, of the mighty acts of God's faithfulness. They hadn't seen it with their own eyes except for one thing. The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a symbol, a constant symbol of God's faithfulness to his people in the midst of the wilderness. And it, and it plays a prominent role here in this passage. Ten times in chapter 3, the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned. And another seven in chapter 4. It, it's playing a prominent role here because it's a symbol of God's presence with his people. The Ark resided in the Holy of Holies, which was the, the place of worship for God's people. And it was, it was the innermost part of the, of the tabernacle and later the temple. It was the place where God's glory dwelt among his people. It was a symbol that God was present with his people, even in the wilderness. It was also a symbol of God's care. Right Inside the Ark of the Covenant was a jar of manna. It was a symbol of how even in the midst of their rebellion and their complaining in the wilderness, God gave food. God gave manna and quail and water. He sustained his people even in the wilderness. It's also a symbol of the story of God's grace for his people. Also inside the ark were the Ten Commandments. We think of the Ten Commandments as the Ten Rules, which they are. But the preamble, the foundation upon which those commandments are given is this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. It's a story of the Ten Commandments are almost like the marriage license of God to his people. It is, it is his, the covenant document. It is God binding himself to his people. The ark is a symbol of God's grace to his people, of him calling them to himself and making them his own. So why does it play such a prominent role here in Joshua chapter 3 as the people are getting ready to enter into the promised land? It plays, plays a prominent role because God wants his faithfulness and his sustaining grace to be fixed on their brains as they enter into the promised land. And so the, the author here keeps repeating, keeps repeating the Ark of the Covenant is going to lead them through because he wants it to be so ingrained in their minds that God is faithful, that God is the one who has sustained them even in the wilderness and especially in the wilderness. Why? Because the temptation would be to think for all those years, God forgot us. God forgot us. He left us. He was not sustaining us. He was not caring for us. He had forgotten us. And that's a temptation that 
that I resonate with, and I think we all can resonate with, that, that in the wilderness of the loss of a job, in the wilderness of deep pain inflicted upon us by the sin of someone else, or that we suffer because of our own sin, or, or the loss of a loved one, or sickness, or we begin to wonder, has God forgotten me? Has God left me here in the wilderness? Or will he bring me out? Is he caring for me? Is he sustaining me? I have a friend who um, just recently discovered, he and his wife, uh, that she has stage four lung cancer. And he has started a Facebook group to sort of keep contact with people that don't live near him anymore and give them updates on her condition and how treatment is going and all of this. And um, a couple of weeks ago, they had just come back from the doctor, a very, very difficult doctor's appointment. And so he posts on the on the Facebook group about how um, the, the cancer is not just in her lungs, but has spread to other parts of her body and is is very aggressive um, and is going to be very difficult to treat. And, and he's sharing this devastating news that they've just received. And at the end of the message, this is what he says. He says, even in the face of bad news. And the million questions why we will continue to lift our eyes upward. And proclaim that God is good. See, that's why the ark is playing such a prominent role in the people entering into the promised land. So that, as my friend says, they can lift their eyes upward and see that it is, it is God who has been faithful the whole time. It is God who has been sustaining them and caring for them, not abandoning them in the wilderness. That's why it plays such a prominent role. God is faithful to sustain his people even in the wilderness. Secondly, God is faithful to deliver his people. See, the ark is going somewhere. It's not just being paraded in front of the people so that they can remember that God is faithful. It's also going to lead them into the promised land. It's going to lead them through the Jordan River, literally, into the promised land. And if we're going to play with our Super Bowl analogy, push it to its, to its limits here. This is the marquee moment. This is the, this is the last second Hail Mary that turns the tides. That, that the team came back from insurmountable odds in the fourth quarter and came back and scored the Hail Mary right at the end. And everyone is going to be talking about this, not just the next day, but for years to come as the marquee moment, not just of this Super Bowl, but of all Super Bowls. This is the moment here in Joshua chapter 3. The crossing of the Jordan River, the marquee moment here, the moment that will be talked about for generations. And, it, and we know that it's very important for various reasons, but again, we see that because of the repetitions, the, the, the author here is, you may have noticed it as we we're reading through the passage this morning, that several times he's telling the people and the priests, you're going to pick up the ark and the ark is going to pass before you and you're going to wait behind so you can get a good view of what's going to happen and the Priests are going to enter into the river and then the waters are going to part. He's, he's repeating over and over again. He's like, basically he's saying, this is the marquee moment. <laughs> Pay attention. This is it. This is the important moment. You do not want to miss this. And then in verse 10, he tells, he tells them why. He tells them why this is so important. Why they need to, not to miss this. Right? So verse 10 
He says, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you all the nations that are currently inhabiting the promised land. Basically, what he's saying is, look, I'm going to do something so amazing that you can't help but know that I am going to completely deliver the promised land into your hands. Because, see, the promised land isn't just like a turnkey, um, wonderful place. It's not just a turnkey paradise. There are people living there now. Not just any people, but, but wicked and powerful nations. And the temptation would be for the Israelites, and you'll see this later on in other places in Scripture, what the t- temptation is, is to fall back on military might and political skill in order to, to drive these people out from the land. That's the temptation. And really what that amounts to is it's a temptation to forget God. It's a temptation to think that if, if we are going to have the life that we want in the promised land, we are going to have to take matters into our own hands. God is not going to be the one to do it. And again, that is a temptation that we can identify with. That, that if we are going to have the life that we think we want, the life that we think we deserve, we are going to have to take matters into our own hands because it's certainly not going to be God who's going to do it. This is how this plays out at Samford. Um, Samford students are in constant resume building mode. It never, it never stops. They're in constant resume building mode because they think that if they can accrue enough good stuff on that resume that they will be able to achieve the life that they want, the life that they think they deserve. And so academically, I meet, I meet so many students who have a double major. I went to Clemson. If you had a double major at Clemson, people looked at you like you had three eyeballs. Like it was just, but at Sanford, everyone has a double major because they're building their resume. They think if I have this double major, then that's going to achieve, I'm going to be one step closer to the life that I think I deserve, to the life that I want. But it's not just academic. It's, it's social, right? They're involved in all sorts of clubs, all sorts of activities, leadership activities, it's religious. They're involved in RUF. They're involved in all, of, all these other campus ministries. They think if, if I can get involved in enough Bible studies and do enough praying and disciple enough people, then God will be on my side and he will give me the things that I want, the things that I think I deserve. And underneath that is a distrust that says, you know what? I think God could be holding out on me. Because if I'm going to get what I really want and what I really need, then I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. That's a temptation for us. That's a temptation for the Israelites. And so what God is doing is he's saying, I am going to do something so amazing, so incredible, so wonderful, as he says earlier in verse 5, that you can't help but know that it's not you. It's me. And that I will never, ever hold anything back that you need. That I am the one caring for you. That I am the one who is going to deliver the promised land into your hands and drive out these nations. So what does he say? He, he asks the question, basically, in verse 10. He says, here's why it's so important that you pay attention. He hasn't even told him what he's going to do yet. And then in verse 13, he says, the priests are going to step up to the water. And they're going to pile up in a heap over here. And they're going to pile up in a heap over here. And where before there was a swollen river because of the time of year, because of the time of harvest, you're going to walk across on dry ground. Here, here's what he's doing here. He's, he's making a case of, of greater to lesser. So imagine that you, you go to a mechanic and you have a trusted, faithful mechanic, which, by the way, we're new to Birmingham. If you do have a trusted, faithful mechanic, um, let me know who that is. We would love to know. Um, but you have a, you have a trusted 
faithful mechanic, and they've done a complete overhaul of your engine, they've changed the transmission, they've done all sorts of complex and difficult things to do, and they've done it faithfully, and they've done it well, you wouldn't have any problem taking your car to that mechanic to get new tires or to have the oil changed. Right? Because you know they're trustworthy, they're faithful. They were so good at these difficult, miraculous, seemingly to me, things on the car that of course they can change the oil. And that's what God is is doing here. He's saying, look, I'm going to do something so incredible that of course I can drive out those nations. Of course I can deliver you into the promised land faithfully. Of course I can do that. That's the case that's being made here. And he wants them to remember it so much that he even tells them, and I'm sure you'll talk about this next week in chapter 4, he even tells them to take 12 stones, one for each tribe, out of the middle of the river and place them on the, on the banks of the river so that future generations, as they cross that point where Israel had crossed, that they would know this is the place where God delivered his people. This is the place where God did something so incredible and so amazing that we had to mark it. It's almost a sacramental reminder there. Right? There's this physical reminder that future generations would come and see those 12 stones and know God is faithful to deliver his people. In a few minutes, that's what we're going to do right here. As we take the wine and we take the bread. What are we doing? We're remembering God is faithful to deliver his people by the body and the blood of Jesus. God is faithful. I actually think we are meant to see that kind of deliverance in in seed form. A a foreshadowing of it here in Joshua chapter 3. Look with me at, at verse 17, the very end of the chapter. Look at the image that's left here. You have, you have priests in the river holding the ark. They have the posts that are holding the ark. And you have the people passing on dry ground where before um, there was a rushing river. And, and you have water heaped up on this end and water heaped up on this end. And, and the image is of the ark of the covenant, the very symbol of the presence of God right there in the middle of the river. Almost as if God is there standing in the river holding back the waters on either side. That's the image there. And we have to think about what water often means in the Old Testament in order to fully understand this image. Think about Noah, right? It's a sign of God's judgment. that The flood waters in Noah's time were a sign of God's judgment over the wickedness of the people of the earth at that time. Or think about the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. That as God's people passed through the Red Sea and then Pharaoh's army in hot pursuit and the water closed in over them, it was a sign of God's judgment. And so the image here is of God himself standing in the middle of the river, holding back the waters. Almost as if it is in anticipation of one day when the waters will not be held back. But they will be unleashed, not on you and me, but on Jesus himself, on God himself, as Jesus is on the cross. That the waters, the floodwaters of the wrath of God are poured out on Jesus so that we might be delivered. So that I might be delivered and you might be delivered from sin and suffering and death once and for all. Not under our own power, but under the power of Jesus. Friends, we, we do not have to wonder If God has forgotten us in the wilderness. 
Because He has given us His Son. And we do not have to be tempted to think that if we want the things that we think we need and the, life, the kind of life we think we deserve, we don't have to be tempted to think that we're going to be the, have to be the ones to deliver that for ourselves because He has given us His Son. How can He not also give us everything that we need? Everything that we need. The main event in Joshua chapter 3 is that God is faithful. He is faithful to sustain His people even in the deepest darkness, darkest wilderness. And He is faithful to deliver them from sin and suffering and brokenness and death itself. Because He has given us His Son. We sang this earlier. So that when you pass through the waters, you will know that I will be with you. And the waters will not overcome you. Because Jesus is He who blots out your transgressions and will not remember your sins. Let's pray and thank God for that good news. Father, thank You that out of Your character naturally flows an instinct to be gracious and to deliver Your people, whether that is thousands of years ago on the banks of the Jordan River or whether that is today. Because of the blood of Jesus. Thank You for Your faithfulness, for Your care, for those who struggle to be faithful for those who struggle to hold on and to remember the body and the blood. Thank you that you are holding on to us. We pray these things in the matchless name of the faithful one, Jesus. Amen.